open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It's the wisdom from above that helps you to adapt to this world without compromise and without abandonment. There are two external applications from this wisdom from above. It's faithfulness is one, then there's humility. And last week we began looking at James's view of humility in the believer's life. First, we are to have humility of heart. Second, we are to have humility before the Father in all we do. Humility before God is us submitting to his will and his authority and his lordship. It's also us drawing near to him for care, for provision, for comfort. It means you depend upon him. And as I said last week, for believers, Jesus has given us a new acronym for life, and that is looking into the Father's eyes at all times. We sit the Father continually before us, and this changes you. It changes the way you view life. It changes the way you view your family. It changes the way you even deal with God's enemies. So if you have your Bible, open it to James chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let us pray. Father, as we come to the preaching of your truth, We need your spirit. The ministry of the word is extremely important in the life of any church. If the word is not highly exalted, or if the word is not standing on on its throne in its proper place, what are we doing? The word is the standard by which we do everything we do. The word is the standard by which we live our lives, by which how we do family, how we raise kids, and how we live our life. And so, Father, we need it. (laughs) My heart needs it, Father. And we know it's the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us wisdom from truth. It's not our degrees, not how smart we are, but it's the Spirit who gives wisdom, the Spirit who helps us to understand Scripture. And he is the one that has to take what is preached and to apply it to our hearts because without him, preaching is powerless. If he doesn't move, and so I'm expecting him to move, to do great things for your glory and to apply the word to the hearts of your people. And I pray that you do that in Christ's name. Amen. When believers are living humbly before God, that is submitting to him, that is drawing near to him, it changes the way we deal with God's enemies. Well, what do you mean by that, Alex? Here's what I mean. It means we don't deny them, nor do we align ourselves with them. But we engage in the Father's fight against them. We don't deny them. We don't align with them. But we engage in the Father's fight against them. 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We engage in the fight against God, against the devil, by resisting the devil. But who is he? How can you resist an enemy you don't know? I think it's important that we have some type of understanding of who he is. He's not flesh. He's not blood. He's not some red guy with a tail with a pitchfork. He's a spiritual enemy who controls the spiritual forces of evil, the rulers and the authorities and powers of this dark world. Scripture teaches us that he is an adversary to God, to his kingdom, to his people. He is an accuser of the brothers in Revelation 12. He's a murderer in John 8. He's a thief that comes to steal and destroy in John 10. He is a liar. He's a sinner. He is the evil one. He is the tempter. He's the prince of this world, the God of this age, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's our enemy. And his main objective toward the people of God is to hinder you from living humbly before your God. He doesn't want you to submit to God's authority. Nor does he want you to draw near to God's care and comfort. He carries this out in many ways. He does it by distorting God's word like he did to Eve in the garden. He comes to you and says, did God really say? Did God really say this? And when he does that, when he asks you that question, he wants you to begin to doubt God's faithfulness and goodness to get you to distrust it. Like he did Eve, the voice of the enemy distracts us. It whispers to us. Has he whispered to you this week? He's been on my back whispering lies to me. Did God really say you shouldn't lie? It's just a little white lie. It's okay. Did God really say you shouldn't covet your neighbor's stuff? It's not that bad. You deserve that stuff too. Did God really say these things to you? The voice can come to us at any time when life is well and when life is hard. He can come. He prays on the weak, the broken, the isolated. What does, what does Peter say? He says, be so reminded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. If you ever watch the animal planet, sometimes they, they will have footage of lions waiting on their prey, lurking, hiding in the bushes, waiting for the proper moment to attack. They don't attack the whole herd. They watch it for someone that's walking behind, who's hurt, and then they strike. The enemy preys on us when we're tired. He preys on us when we're weak. He preys on us when we think we don't need the church. He preys on us when we think we can do it all by ourselves. We don't need other believers. That's not from the Lord. That's from the enemy. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. And he can use all of those against you. 
he also disguises himself. First, Second Corinthians tells us, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. That's scary. That should be very frightening. And you say, what does that mean, Alan? It means any one of us. Any one of us. The enemy can use. And so we're always looking for the red fork, but we're not always assuming a guy in a white suit can be a tool of the enemy as well. He can be. And his whole purpose is to lead us astray. He doesn't want you to submit to God's authority. He doesn't want you to draw near to God for care. He wants you to think he, God won't come, that he can't be trusted. And so you got to do it yourself. This is the type of enemy that we are facing. And Peter says, resist him. Knowing that the same kind of suffering has been experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. The same kind of suffering has been experienced through the brotherhood throughout the world. So please know the church in America, the church overseas, wherever, all the brothers and sisters in the Lord are experiencing the same thing when it comes to the enemy. No one is exempt. No one gets a pass. Now, I believe there are two struggles that believers have when it comes to the enemy. First, some of us don't give him enough, enough credit. We underestimate him. We think to ourselves, man, I got this. I got my spiritual life all organized, and I got my shield up, so I got the enemy at bay. He can't get to me. He can't get to me and my family. I got him in check. I've told you before about the statement that I made when I was in college, and I have yet to utter that statement again. I was having lunch with one of my, with the staff person. I was involved with a campus ministry, and him and one of the leaders were, and I were having lunch. And when I first became a believer, I was arrogant but didn't know it. I thought I was God's gift to the college campus that I went to. <laughs> I knew it all. I memorized my scripture. I had my quiet time. And I was reading books. I went to Bible study. I went to large group. And no one was a better Christian than Alex. And one day after I had lunch with this guy, I said, you know what? I don't feel like the enemy is attacking me. I don't sense it. I don't feel like he's messing with me. Let's say some time later, I felt it. I saw it firsthand. I was humbled. And what I didn't realize back then was that he didn't have to attack me because he already had me with my pride. <laughs> he already had me. I underestimated him. I was focusing on all those other bad things I wasn't doing. Forgot, man, he can use my goodness against me too. My so-called righteousness, my so-called self-sufficiency. He can use those things to pull me away from the Father's heart, and he did, and I didn't know it. That's scary. Please understand that when it comes to the enemy, nothing is sacred. Everything in life is free game for him to use against you to pull you away from the Father, even your kids, even your family, your career, your money, your stuff. It's all free game. Whatever it takes 
to get you to distrust the Lord, he'll use it. If it's tying your shoe, he'll use that. <laughs> it doesn't matter. All he cares about is you falling, stumbling, and struggling. On the other side, there are those who give the enemy too much credit. They overestimate him. The devil this, the devil that. And with this issue, the, 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 I believe folks who struggle with overestimating him, they, they, have, they see God and devil, God and the devil as the highest portrayal of the, of the dichotomy of good and evil. What I mean by that, if you look at our culture, our culture is filled with images of, of this dichotomy between good and evil in music and art and movies. Like the new film, Man of Steel. It's a classic portrayal of good versus evil. Superman, of course, we know it's the good guy. General Zod is the evil guy. But what's interesting is this. The evil guy is just as powerful as the good guy on the same level. God and Satan are not Superman and General Zod. They're here. Satan is not on par with the Father. Satan does not have the same power as the Father. What I mean by that, he's an enemy who's kept that check by God. There are not equal forces going head to head. No, never will be. Never will be, never has been. So this, this, God and devil, they're not good versus evil. It's the Father's will doing what he wants to do, and he allows the enemy to play in his playground. He's in check. So no, he's real, he's powerful, but he's also tame by the Father. That's how you should view the enemy. I lost my spot. Okay. All right. So you have to take this knowledge with you into the battlefield when you engage the enemy. He's powerful, but yet he's tame. I said earlier that when believers are living humbly for God, they will submit themselves to God and draw near to him. They change the way you view your enemies. You won't deny them. You won't align with them, but you engage them. You will resist them. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What does it mean to resist the devil? The Greek verb here means to resist. can also means stand against, to oppose, to set oneself against. With this verb, James is calling for urgent action on behalf of believers. He wants you to be urgent and persistent when it comes to resisting the devil. James is like, wake up. Realize we are in spiritual warfare. Sometimes in our culture, because of all our comforts, we sometimes forget that. But just know our comforts are sometimes part of the battle. And if you don't think you're in spiritual warfare, then you're probably already living according to the way the enemy wants you to live. And spiritual warfare comes in many shapes and sizes. When James says, urges you to withstand the enemy, he's wanting you to firmly get in a, de in a defensive position. That's what Standing firm means. That's what withstanding means. That's what resisting means. Get in a defensive position. Embrace yourself for the collision 
in the attacks that are coming your way. To withstand and resist involves action. It involves behavior. It involves your mental mindset because the enemy can attack the way you think. And for some of you, you know that. Because all the way, how you think about yourself and how you think about others, the enemy can attack you there. He attack the way you live your life as well. He can attack your relationships. And his whole goal, remember, is what? To draw you away from God. He wants you to believe that submitting to God's authority is not safe. He wants you to believe that God is not a safe place. He wants you to believe that God does not have your best interest in mind. Even in your suffering, God has your best interest in mind. But the enemy will come and say he does not. He can't be trusted. He wants you to know, he wants you to think drawing near to God is pointless because God won't come. He's not going to come to take care of you, but he will come. He wants you to fall in unbelief. He wants you to live like an atheist. That I live as if there is no God. But on Sunday mornings I do, but during the week, it's all up to me. I have to take care of myself. You have to withstand those things. But how? How can we do it? When I was in high school, I was an offensive lineman. I bet you say offensive lineman? Yes. I was 300 pounds in high school, so I was an offensive lineman. And in practice, we used to have these one-on-one drills. I didn't like those drills, but that was part of practice. And I remember one time in practice, my offensive line coach, Coach Hodges, he called me and one of my teammates out because we were not going hard. And if you didn't go hard in practice, if you didn't practice hard, you got called out. And so he came over and he said, Shipman and Davis, what do you got going on? Looks like you got the buddy system going on. And in practice, the buddy system means me and the other guy have an agreement. You don't go hard, I won't go hard. But we pretend like we're going hard because we're working together. Because we want to make it easy on one another because we're not practicing hard. And when you approach the Christian life and spiritual warfare, you cannot have the buddy system mindset because the enemy is not your buddy. Sin is not your buddy. And the world is not your buddy. They're your enemy. And if you make them your buddy, you're going to either abandon things or you're going to compromise things. There is no buddy system. The enemy is not interested in being your buddy. He wants to cause you harm. And please understand that. that, that, that notice what James doesn't say. He doesn't say stop the enemy from attacking. He doesn't say prevent the enemy from attacking. He says, resist him. You see, there is no sermon. There is no preacher. There is no book. There is no theology. There is no blog. There is no Twitter feed or Facebook post that's going to change that reality. He's going to attack you. He's going to attack you. And he will continue to be your adversary until you cross over to glory. And what you do on this side of heaven is you learn how to withstand Stand firm in your faith to resist the devil. You can't do it in your own strength because he ain't going to flee from you if you try to flee, fight him in your own power. He flees from you when you fight him the way the Father tells us to fight him in, our, in his word. You stand firm in your faith. You have to bring your faith 
to the battlefield with you. Well, what does that mean, Alex? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The weapons that Paul is referring to is the armor of God. The armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened up the truth, having put on the, blessed, the breastplate of righteousness, and as your shoes for your feet, and having on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. In all circumstances, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That is how we wage war, and that is how we fight. That is how we stand, the armor of God. That is how you take your faith to the battlefield. Are you taking it? The battlefield for your marriage, the battlefield for your kids, the battlefield for your family, the battlefield for everything in your life. You have to take your faith there. Even when it comes to your church, you have to take your faith there as well. Today we're going to ordain new officers into our congregation, one elder and three deacons. And please know, your officers need prayer. Your pastor needs prayer. The enemy will be on our backs. The enemy will be on our families. And you love us when you pray for us. And, my, and I tell that these new men who are coming to be officers, please know the enemy's watching. You, your family. I ain't trying to scare you. I'm just giving you reality. And so it's important that, that we pray for one another. We all take our faith to the battlefield. And we, we serve one another. And I'm excited about where we are as a church. I'm excited about where we're headed. And you should be encouraged because God is doing great things. Please pray with me. Father God, I do want to pray for your bride. And I pray for anyone here who is struggling. Anyone here who's feeling like the enemy is just on their back, that they can't get no freedom, they can't get no rest, they can't get no peace. But there is peace available through Jesus. Life ain't going to be easy. Life won't be problem-free. But you can have peace through saving faith in Christ. If there's anyone here who don't know you, if there's anyone here who's just been going through the motions, I pray that your spirit will convict them and they will cry out and say, Jesus, take my life. I pray for those who have walked with you for years. But, Lord, they still struggle. They say, when am I going to stop struggling with these sins? Help them to know that you have not given up on them. You who began a good work in them will carry it on. That our salvation is guaranteed. Perseverance of the saints is real and true. Help them to cling to you more, submit to you more, draw to you more. And we pray for our babies, 
our kids, Lord. The blessings over them. Because we know the, that the world is always changing. And these young ones, my two babies, and all the babies here, they're going to be living in a world quite different than our own. And what they need to know is firm in their faith, standing firm in what they believe to be true. And that is their faith in Jesus. And I pray that each and every one of them would come to know him and the gloriness and the sweetness of being in a relationship with him. Will you draw them to yourself? Be with our parents. Be with our fathers, the men, that they will be men and lead our families well. We will be humble before our wives and our kids. Admit that we have issues. Repent to our kids when we sin against them. Let, us, let them see us struggle because we can point them to the king when we do. There is one who does not struggle. There is a father who will not let you down, and it is Jesus. So, Father, I pray also for the men who are going to be ordained today, that you will bless them, bless their families. And I pray for this in your son's name. Amen.